Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Um, Drew is not here with us this afternoon, so I'm going to kick us off uh, and get us going. I'm Jonathan, uh, one of the panelists normally, uh, and I'll bring in the other panelists now. Uh, we got Stephen Rouse up from the Harrisburg area. Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jonathan. It was weird because uh, you coming in on Drew's account, I was like, wait, you're not Drew. <laughs> Yeah, 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 I had my picture, had Drew's picture there. And Drew's yeah. pictures when when you when you turned your video off, and I was like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It was a little, this, little disorienting, but we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll be okay. And Scott, um, here in the Gettysburg area, where I am also. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. How you doing, guys? Doing good. Good to see you guys this afternoon. Um, we had a question come in last week. We uh, were just kind of having open Q and A. Uh, type of forum. We're going to do that same thing this week. So uh, to our live audience, if you all have any questions, you can submit those if you're on Zoom um, in the uh, chat window or the Q&A window, uh, or if you wanted to come in and, and do that with the audio, um, that option is available as well. Um, or if you're watching on Scott's Facebook page, you can put that in the comment section and we'll be monitoring that through the show. We did have a question come in uh, near the end of the show last week, so we didn't get to get to that from one of the viewers. So we're going to get to that today and start our show off with that. Um, so that, that question um, from the viewer said, um, why do we end prayers with, quote, in Jesus' name, amen, end quote, or similar phrases? Um, what are the passages those phrases come from, and how can we avoid vain repetitions in prayers? Um, so Scott, where are we going to go with that? All right. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to encourage our audience. What we're trying to do last week and this week is uh, have this more of a Q&A program. So when it started off, we were aiming for a Q&A and we didn't always have a question ahead of time. And so we kind of got into a thing, here's what we're going to talk about. Uh, but the last two weeks, we're trying to get back to letting you kind of determine what we talk about. So if you're listening uh, today live, uh, if you're listening to it on a podcast, you might think, oh, well, if I'd heard it live, I would have asked this. Well, Send it in anyway, maybe we can do that next week. But if you're listening live and you've got a comment or a question, please send it in. And you can be thinking about that as we go over our, our first question. So um, I think most of us are familiar with, and I know I, in my prayers, I will say at the end of the prayer, I will say in Jesus' name, amen. Why do we do that? Uh, I think there's biblical merit for doing that. But maybe a good way to start, we'll, we'll be looking at the biblical merit in that, but I'm going to open with this question. Can either of you show us any prayer in the Bible where it ended with the words, in Jesus' name, amen? I know we were, we were talking about that earlier, and just none of the prayers end in that way, at least not in quotations. So... You know, if we have in our mind a prayer, it's not a prayer unless at the end it says, in Jesus' name, amen, you should probably challenge that thinking because if that was the exact way that every prayer has to be done verbally at the end, you would think it might be in there somewhere. Stephen? Maybe the closest it gets is Paul's prayer at the end of Ephesians 3 where he says, uh, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Uh, 
So that's close. He doesn't say in Jesus' name those words exactly, but he does praise the Father uh, to him be glory in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. So it's, it's close, but again, it, if, it, if that's some kind of formula that we have to use, I don't know of a place in the Bible that uses the phrase in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of the prayer. And if it's a formula, should we use, put those extra words in there that Paul said? But there right. is, there's biblical merit and reason for saying in Jesus' name and for saying amen, and we'll be looking at that in a minute. Jonathan, you had your hand up. Yeah, I was just going to say, that seems like such a oddly specific thing to be kind of a worldwide understanding. So, so it has to come from somewhere. Where does it come from? Yeah. So uh, let's begin with these uh, texts. And, and Stephen, you've got them up here uh, listed for us. Uh, somebody read John 14, 13 through 14. Somebody John 15, 16, 16, 23, 24, 26. And of course, somebody set the stage. Who's involved in this conversation? What point in history does John 14 take place? Well, this is the last conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. It's the night before Jesus is betrayed, or the night he's being betrayed. And um, this is a huge chunk of the Gospel of John. There's, what, five chapters, John 13 through 17, that are devoted to this last conversation that Jesus has. And in the course of this discussion, he'll, he'll bring up, again, these six times that we just listed um, about how he's going to the Father, and they're going to be able to ask things in his name, and they will be done for them. Uh, so those passages, we'll just read them here. Uh, John 14, 13. I'll read verses 13 and 14. He says it a couple times here. Um, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So twice there, he says about asking in his name. And um, that, that second reading in verse 14, that's a manuscript variant, right? Because other translations. Yes. If you, some manuscripts omit me when it says, uh, if you, they'll just say, if you ask anything in my name, right. uh, I will do it. And then uh, chapter 15, verse 16. Yeah, chapter 15, verse 16 says, um, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give to you. And so the context of that, he's talking about being the vine and the branches attached to the vine and any branch that doesn't bear fruit will be cut off and thrown into the fire. Um, and so their bearing fruit is kind of uh, tied into that idea of asking the father things in Jesus name. And before we read our next verses on asking the Father in Jesus' name, uh, which is what that statement of the prayer refers to, and we see here in the Gospel of John, we're going to look at some more verses on that, but let me give you a heads up. We've got another question uh, uh, submitted from uh, a viewer that we'll be getting to in a few minutes. That question is, please explain, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, Ephesians 5.18, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. So we'll have that on the shelf and when we finish this question about in the name of Jesus and amen, we're going to go over that question about uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, also Ephesians 5, 18, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. We'll be going there a bit.
All right, so now what do we have there in John 16? Still the same conversation the night before um, Jesus dies. And so understand, he says, I'm going to be going away. And he says, you're going to see me again, but I'm going to go away. And then the Holy Spirit is going to be sent. The Comforter, he'll teach you all things, etc. But I won't be here. But if you ask these things in my name, they'll be done. Ask the Father in my name. And so I think that's basically the reason behind why we say at the end of our prayers, in Jesus' name. We'll talk in a minute whether or not it has to be verbalized. And keep in mind, you could say it if you wanted to verbalize it. You could verbalize it at the beginning. I've heard people do that. Yeah. Uh, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, that might be an effective way of reminding people of what this is about. Uh, but let's have that last set of texts, please. John 16, the last three are here. John 16, 23. Jesus said, And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And then uh, the last one is down in verse 26. In that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. And he goes on to talk about the Father himself loving them. So uh, those six references are the six references that Jesus specifically says, ask in my name. And up till now, the apostles could come to Jesus himself and just talk directly to him and ask him things or ask him for things. Uh, they don't always get what they ask for. If you remember Zebedee, uh, Zebedee's wife comes with his two boys, James and John, and she has a request, you know. Uh, we won't get into that. Uh, but Jesus is leaving. And you ask the Father in my name. So now let's talk about what does it mean in my name? What's the, what's the significance of that? Well, we have passages like Colossians 3 um, that talk about doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's a phrase that's used a good bit in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. To do something in the name of the Lord or in the name of Jesus is to do something really by their authority, uh, something that they clearly want to be done. And then sometimes it indicates doing something where you are implying their approval. Um, Deuteronomy 18 in the passage about the prophet who would come, who would be like Moses. It says, uh, it then talks about false prophets. It says, if a prophet prophesies something in my name that I have not commanded him, you know, that prophet's going to be guilty. So just because you do something and say the words, oh, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus or in the name of the Lord, doesn't mean that's what the Lord wants to happen. It's more doing something where you are doing it with God's approval and with his authority. Yes. So give us two examples from the New Testament where people did something and we have the words in my name or in his name or in the name of the Lord, but we see it actually wasn't. In other words, you can always say something is something that is not. Uh, what two instances come to mind? Well, one that you were, that we were talking about before you mentioned in Acts 19, um, when Paul's uh, in Ephesus and the sons of Sceva, 
uh, are coming out and they're the Jewish exorcists. And so Acts 19 uh, in verse 13 uh, it says, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Um, and the seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, saying, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit uh, was in leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So they said, you know, I adjure you, evil spirit by the same Jesus that Paul is adjuring evil spirits, apparently, come out. So that's effectively in Jesus' name, come out of the man. And the spirit says, no, I'm not going to do that. So they've said the words, uh, but it, it doesn't work at all because it's, it's, it, it's more important what you're doing than what you're saying. It's valuable to say it as well, but more important is what you're doing. So back to Colossians 3, it said, everything you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord. So as we do this broadcast, should we be doing this in the name of the Lord? That is our aim, for sure. <laughs> we are wanting to do this in a way that's pleasing to God and by his authority. Right. And so, having commissioned his apostles to give his word, we, to answer these questions, are going to his word because we want to do it within his authority. So we're doing that in the name of the Lord. I don't think that means that every time we open a broadcast, we have to say, and this is Bible Quest in the name of the Lord. Uh, or when we answer text, I'll read Ephesians 2, 12 there in the name of the Lord. Um, it's here the, now, that doesn't mean nobody verbalized it. Why did the sons of Sceva choose to say the words in the name of the Lord? They wanted to invoke his power and be able to cast the demons out, but they weren't doing it according to his will. And where would they have heard those words? From Paul. Yes. So Paul was doing things in the name of the Lord and often no doubt said it was in the name of the Lord. The sons of Sceva skipped the booing and just the verbal, and of course it doesn't do any good. And the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to do, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but those that do the will of my Father. So what you do is more important than what you say. And then he says, on that day, many are going to say what? Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. Yes, yes. So it's more important to do it than to verbalize it, but it's also good to verbalize it. John? Uh, let me just backtrack just a little bit. We had a comment come in from Edward um, where we were talking about, uh, are there any prayers in the scriptures, like actual quotations of where a prayer is ended in Jesus' name, uh, amen, uh, and made the observation that there aren't any that we're aware of that end in those words. Um, and so he asked, are, are these uh, not different prayers to Jesus and put a few different verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and chapter 3, uh, John 9 and in Acts 7, um, some examples of Jesus accepting worship. And, and those were times where people were addressing Jesus, talking to Jesus, uh, imploring people to do things on account of Jesus and various different things. But the, the phrase in Jesus name didn't show up in the prayer is, is the point that we were making. Let's, let's look at the, after we finish this about in the name of and finish the amen, 
uh, let's look at that on whether or not these are prayers to Jesus. Some of these may be, uh, some of these may not be. Uh, I'm not convinced, uh, and we might not all have the same uh, uh, thought here. I'm, I see a couple of places in scripture where I think that may be prayer to Jesus. I'm not 100% convinced of it. I know we've got multiple examples of where we have prayer to the Father through Jesus. Uh, so we'll look at this question in, in a few minutes about whether or not these are prayers to Jesus. Um, but this idea of whatever you ask the Father in my name, most of the prayers that we see in the, in the New Testament are directed to the Father. Uh, you have Jesus when he teaches people how to pray. It's, you know, our Father who art in heaven. Paul will repeatedly say, I pray to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ or through Jesus Christ, etc. One of the principles here is in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. How do we have access to the Father? Verse, somebody read, please, verse 14 through. So uh, Acts, or Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man, in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Okay, so we have access to God. We were enemies of God. Jesus died for us while we were enemies. God sent his son to pay for our sins so that we can be reunited with God and have fellowship with him again. So we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. It, it, um, in Hebrews, why are we able to approach with boldness? You know, he made the entrance for us. Uh, that, that, that veil that represented still a sense of some separation between man and God at the death of Christ, it's rent in two. And we've got this very uh, full immediate access to the Father through Jesus Christ. And that's just important to remember across the board. Um, now let's talk about the amen. Uh, where, where, what does the word amen mean? Well, it's funny. Uh, and I was thinking about this as we were reading the uh, verses earlier. Um, in one of these verses in John 16, 23, the word amen comes up twice uh, in one of these verses. It says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And the word amen is there twice. It just gets translated as truly, truly, I say to you. Uh, that's amen, amen is the, uh, uh, the Greek. And so it's just a word that means verily, truly, certainly. Um, and uh, it's become a thing. And of course, this happens even in the New Testament where someone will say amen. Uh, it's where you're agreeing with someone saying, yeah, truly, that's right. <laughs> um, and so uh, it's, it's a, a word that now has become a religious word, but was a word that they used to communicate. Yes, truly, that's right. So it, it's a Greek word, amen is. And every time you see Jesus say, truly, truly, 
In the Greek, it's pronounced slightly differently, but it's amen, amen. Barely, barely, Jesus is saying amen, amen. So, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is dealing with the Corinthians who are kind of over-infatuated with tongue-speaking. He's trying to remind them they're not all going to do it. It's not as important as you think it is. And don't do it in the church unless it's translated. And then just two or three people at the most in turn. And one of the things he tells them not to do, don't pray in a different tongue unless it's going to be interpreted. Because if you do that, what does he say about it? And what, what text there relates to our question about amen? So it's in verse 16 is the verse that you're looking for. So 1 Corinthians 14, 16, um, where he's just talked about in the preceding verses, not praying in a tongue so that they can understand. Um, and so he says in verse 16, otherwise you give thanks with your spirit. How can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? All right. So there's, we see that they were in the habit of uh, saying amen at the end of a prayer. And we, Stephen, you've already mentioned that uh, there in Ephesians, Paul makes some statements and at the end of it, he says, amen. At the end of Ephesians 3 and at the end of Romans 11, when he's finished a long discourse on a topic and then he's praising God at the end, he'll end with that words, amen. And we see Paul says here, don't pray in a different language because how can the person that doesn't understand that language say amen to what you have said? Mm -hmm. so it's also interesting. This is even true in the Old Testament. Um, in First Chronicles 16, when uh, there's kind of a, David arranges some worship to dedicate uh, what's going to be the temple and um, at the end of, he puts together several psalms, and at the end it says, and all the people said, amen. <laughs> and each of the books of the book of psalms, the, there's five books in the book of psalms, end with amen and amen. <laughs> uh, so it's interesting that's even an Old Testament thing. And actually, it's not even just a uh, prayers that end with amen. The very last word of the Bible is amen. After John is writing what he's seen from Jesus, and he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. <laughs> and uh the whole Bible ends with that word. Yes. Uh, and, and you can also see sometimes in a, in a lesson or a sermon or a class, somebody makes a point and somebody says, amen. You know, yes, that's right. It's kind of like highlighting that, underscoring it, uh, agreeing with it. And, and we can do that in prayer. So uh, it's appropriate, I think. And there's a biblical reason for why you know, often our prayers will begin and we will address it to the Father and we will pray and at the end we will say, in Jesus' name, because as we saw John 14, 15, 16, he said, what you ask the Father in my name, in Jesus' name, and then we say, amen. But it's not a formula that would have to be stated that way each time. It's a good reminder of what we're doing, but it, sometimes it might be helpful to uh, word it a little bit differently to make it clear, you know, what that is, you know, uh, and, and re remembering that it's through the Father we have access to the, through Jesus we have access to the Father. All right, um, let's go, since the other question relates to prayer, Stephen, go ahead. 
Well, the, uh, one other passage that was in that first question before we leave it uh, was uh, this question of vain repetition. And that is a phrase that comes up in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is teaching on prayer. And it's in the middle of a section where Jesus is warning against doing your righteous deeds to be seen by other people. And so he says, watch out, you know, and he talks about giving to the poor. He talks about prayer. He talks about fasting. He says, don't, don't do these things to be seen by other people. And one of the things he warns against in prayer is in verse uh, Matthew 6, verse 7. Um, he says, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. The ESV renders that empty phrases, but uh, different translations put vain repetition there. And, it, and I'll say that this is a good question, because if we're saying, in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of a prayer without thinking about, I'm able to approach God by Jesus, it, can, it could become something that's an empty phrase or a vain repetition. But again, it doesn't, we can say things over and over again and they still be meaningful. Just because, we, just because it's repetition doesn't mean it's vain repetition. Um, yeah, I should tell your wife, I love you. Now, <laughs> yeah, if, if you say it without any meaning, you know, love you, love you, love you. Oh, I didn't say it enough today, I love you but you don't mean it, it wouldn't mean much. But, you know, has your wife ever complained that you say that too much? It's, it's we, in other words, it's, there's things that we want to say over and over, but they should be subtle. Uh, and so with prayer, we, you can get into a habit to where you're saying a bunch of things and not thinking about what you're saying. Uh, and, and Jesus says here, don't use vain repetitions as the Gentiles do. That's an interesting statement. Jesus is speaking to Jewish people in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's telling them not to use vain repetitions as the Gentiles do. In what way did Gentiles use vain repetitions? I'm not sure, but let, let me give you an example. Uh, and you didn't have Buddhists in that area but they were Gentiles. And let me give you an example from uh, Buddhism. Uh, yeah, here we go. Are you guys familiar with prayer wheels? So in uh, parts of Asia, you will have if Buddhist temples and stuff, prayer wheels set up and the wind is spinning there. And they're just going round and round and round. Here it has prayer wheels are used by many Tibetans every day sometimes for hours on end. Worshippers turn prayer wheels to accumulate merit to help all beings in the world and purify their karma. They're a part of a meditation practice. And so they're going around and around, and then if you put it where it's the wind is catching it, I believe some are set up that way, then the wind keeps it going for you. And it seems to me a little bit that there's the idea, the more of those that go up, you know, and that seems to me to be kind of a good example of vain repetition. Uh, I don't know that people around uh, uh, Judea or Galilee had prayer wheels, but you can see the, how the idea of vain repetition could come about. And, and think about if you go and do penance and, and you ask a priest and you say, what sin you've done? And he says, say this many Hail Marys and this many are Fathers. 
bees. And, and people have a rosary bead. And, you know, on each bead, you say this prayer over and over and over. And one of the things that's interesting about that is this. As they're saying to our fathers, what language is in there? The language from Matthew 6. Our Father who art in heaven, you know, forgive us of our sins. Right there in the text is who you need to go to, who a Christian needs to go to when they've sinned, and it's the Father. But instead, the person has gone to a priest at a confessional booth who then told them, say this, you know, 10, 20, 30, 100 times or, or, or whatever. And they're saying these words that sh should show it's to the Father that we should, you know, make confession and ask for forgiveness. But they're not noticing that, I don't think, because they're busy doing the repetition that the priest told them to do. So that can be another example of that. Thoughts? Yeah, I think just coming back to the original question that uh, we should pray in Jesus' name, whether or not we verbalize it. And if we do choose to say that at the end of each prayer, don't let it become a vain repetition. If it's something you repeat, let it be something that's meaningful. Even if you do it at the end of every prayer, just be thoughtful about it. Realize what you're saying when you say the words in Jesus' name. Um, and then end the prayer with amen, knowing what the word amen means. Truly, verily, um, and you're agreeing. And then if you agree with a prayer, make sure you're paying attention to the prayer, listening, so that you can say amen at the end of someone else leading a prayer. Very good. Now, if we got any hope of answering both of these other questions, we better get over to that. So let's do that now. Let's start with the second one that came in because it relates to our topic of prayer. So it says, are these not prayers to Jesus? So the first one is first, and if one of you guys would pull up a blue letter Bible and put each of these texts on the screen, please. So first we have 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And if somebody will be ready with 2 Corinthians 12, 18. Uh, first off here, we'll go with uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And the question is, is this a prayer to Jesus? Let's begin reading. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the part I think he's looking at is the last part of verse 2. Paul is not praying here. He's addressing the Corinthian church. He will say who he prays to in verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Um, but he also talks here about those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do we know about that phrase, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ? You can do a whole study, probably do a whole webcast on that phrase. Pretty interesting. What else um, sorry, what was that, Scott? 
Where else do we see this phrase? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about in the book of Acts, um, like uh, when Paul is told, now why do you wait? Uh, arise and be baptized, calling on his name. All right, wash yeah. away your sins, calling on his name. Um, it comes up in Joel 2. It's quoted in Acts 2. Uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes. And of course, that's talking about more than just a prayer, more than just uh, you know something verbal that you do. It's something that you're crying out to God to be rescued from your sins and responding in faith, which includes at times praying and asking forgiveness, but it is not exclusively prayer that is calling on the name of the Lord. In, the, in, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, when, when Paul is told, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name, arising and being baptized was part of calling on the name of the Lord there. Yes. So in Joel 2, and this will be quoted both by Peter in Acts 2 and by Paul in Romans 10. We're going to look briefly at both of those. In Acts 2, Paul quotes Joel 2. At the end it says, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the text that evangelicals think justifies the way you become a Christian is by praying to Jesus. But the actual way that Peter tells him to respond, let's scroll down to verse 37 to 38, after he says, you crucified the Messiah. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the other question. We might have to wait for next week for that one. So he has quoted Joel 2, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. But when the people ask specifically, what should we do? The answer is repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And as Stephen already quoted, we see that in Paul's baptism as well. When Ananias says, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized, calling on his name. Uh, somebody read Romans 10 for us, where Paul quotes this same uh, text, starting in verse 9. It says, uh, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. All right. So let's uh, let's because we're running about uh, short on time, let's jump to 2 Corinthians 12, 18. 2 Corinthians 12, 18. So this is where Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh, which we will not be speculating on. Don't have time for that. Um, but regarding this thorn in the flesh, what had Paul requested? Um, he implored the Lord three times that it should uh, should leave him. So this should not be verse 18, but rather verse 8. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, sorry. Right, so concerning this thing, I asked the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, sometimes there may be some question as to who is referred to as Lord, usually in Paul, Lord is Jesus, 
and uh, almost always, and here I believe it is. Um, the answer comes to him, uh, uh, my power, and then Paul refers to the power of Christ. So who is, he, who is he talking with? He's talking with Jesus. So Paul clearly here is petitioning uh, Jesus and Jesus is answering him. I'm not sure that we should use this passage or at least this passage alone to establish uh, today praying to Jesus because this is a conversation between uh, that where Jesus, he speaks to the Lord and the Lord speaks to him. Uh, you might compare it to, for example, let's in the book of Revelation, does John speak to the angel? Does the angel speak to John? Yeah. When it's time to worship, when John bows down, what does the angel say? Don't worship me, worship God. Yeah, yeah. Now, Jesus, notably in Revelation 5, receives being bowed down to just as the Father did in Revelation 4. So in Revelation 4, they bow and worship before the Father. In Revelation 5, they bow and worship before the Father and the Lamb. We see a clear distinction there in Jesus receiving worship and angels not. But someone having a conversation with, whether it's the Holy Spirit or an angel, uh, like Philip. Philip was told by the Holy to, to meet the eunuch. In one part of the text, it's the Holy Spirit talking to him. In another part, it's an angel talking to him. And if he talked, had a conversation back and forth with the Holy Spirit or the angel, would we use those texts to predicate that we should pray to angels or pray to the Holy Spirit today. So I think if there is justification for praying to Jesus, we would need to look farther than this text. Comments on that? I, I think that you're right in general. I, I would look at things like Acts 9 to see like a conversation, like Ananias has a conversation with Jesus when yeah. he says, go and lay hands on him. And he says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. And uh, but the Lord says to him, "Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine." I'm not sure if Second Corinthians 12 is so much of a conversation as he says, "I implored the Lord three times about this," right? And then he he does receive a verbal answer from Jesus, um, and so we should not expect a verbal answer from Jesus. But it seems here that he is praying to Jesus, and so I don't know if this text precludes our praying to Jesus either. Right, right. I would, I would agree with that. And you're right, it might not have originally been a conversation, but we do know during Paul's life, we will see him, he addresses Jesus here, and we will see Jesus address him. It's not always a uh, simultaneous thing. Here, it's on the same topic, but it might not have been initiated as a conversation. All right, uh, our next passage, 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 through 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. I would say this is not a prayer to Jesus. Look, look who's just grammatically who's being addressed. May our... Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father, who loved us, gave us eternal comfort and glory through hope and grace, comfort your hearts. 
So you have first person, second person, third person. First person is like I, me, or plural, we, us. Uh, second person is the person you're talking to. That's where you say you. Like if, if I am talking to Jonathan about Stephen, and I say, Jonathan, I wanted to tell you it's Stephen's birthday. I'm in the first person, Jonathan is in the second person, Stephen is in the third person. Um, in this text, who's in the first person? Paul, because he's writing to. Who's in the second person? Thessalonians. Yes, to comfort your hearts. Who's in the third person? Uh, Jesus and God. Yes. Um, and, and so... He's wanting this, like kind of like when we say, you know, God bless you uh, or, or God be with you. Uh, when I tell someone, God be with you in that. God bless you in that. After I say that, then I pray and ask God to bless thee. In my statement, when I tell somebody, you know, may God bless you in that, uh, may God be with you, I'm telling them I want God's blessing on them. But then I do petition God on their behalf, and I silently pray and I ask God to bless them. So this one, because um, we we're running short time, I'll tell you the two texts I think that are strongest toward the possibility that you may have had prayer, regular prayer directly to Jesus. One would be Acts 1. Uh, I, I myself, I just pray to the Father because I see Jesus uh, establishing that in Matthew 6, and I see countless examples of it. Paul will say over and over, I bow like things like, I bow my knee to the Father uh, through Jesus Christ. Acts 1, where they say, Lord, show us which one you, you want to replace Judas. Well, Lord is usually in Acts, uh, Jesus. In Acts 4, there's a spot where it's the Father. But uh, in that one, you know, who picked the original apostles? Jesus. Jesus. And so there's a certain logic plus the likelihood of Lord. And there's another text in Timothy where it says, I thank him that enabled me, Christ. But a lot of these, there's, there's other things going on. So that, but I've made some of my comments. So I'll let you guys make some comments as well. Yeah, because I mean, we only have a couple minutes left here, but I'm of the persuasion that we can pray to Jesus himself. And I have a different take on a couple of these passages that I know we don't have time to get into a full uh, talk about these things. Um, I'm trying to find that First Timothy passage right now. I know it's right at the beginning of one of these. Um, oh, yeah, here it is. First Timothy 1.12. Uh, I thank him who has given me strength, Jesus, Christ Jesus our Lord. I'll say just a brief word about these statements. Um, that they are in the third person to God. But um, looking at, for instance, the prayer uh, that Paul offers in Ephesians 3, um, it is also uh, addressed to the Ephesians or the recipients of this letter. Um, and it's to them in the second person and to God in the third person. But it's very clear in this passage that he's recording the contents of his prayer for them. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, um, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power and of course, this is where we talked about at the beginning of our study, where he ends with, to him be the glory and in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is a prayer. Um, it's not worded in the second person to God because he's writing it in a letter to the Ephesians. 
but it's still the contents of his prayer. I would say the same thing about the prayer that we read earlier in Thessalonians, that Paul is regularly recording the contents of his prayers in letters to other Christians. I'd like to bring up just one other passage before we leave here, and you mentioned this in Revelation chapter 5. Um, I think there's a very interesting thing here, and again, this is symbolic, um, but it is very interesting to me that you have in Revelation 5 and verse 8, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That again, I know we're always dealing with symbols in Revelation 5, but clearly we are to worship the one on the throne and we are to worship the lamb. And the symbol of the bowls of incense represents, it tells us here very clearly that this represents the prayers of the saints that are specifically being offered to the lamb um, in Revelation chapter five. So again, uh, this is one of those passages, Scott and I have studied this before at other times that uh, we greatly respect each other, but come to different personal conclusions on this. And though I am of the persuasion that I think we can pray to Jesus from what we see in scripture, I'm not trying to force anybody to do that. Uh, everyone should do what their conscience dictates on this question and study it carefully. There's a lot more passages than we've mentioned today to study on this question of praying to Jesus specifically. We all agree that we ought to pray to the Father. And I'll just be clear that when I pray in public or lead in prayer, I always address my prayers to the Father um, for the sake of the conscience of those praying with me. I want them to be able to say amen at the end of those prayers. Um, but uh, this is a great biblical question and then one that uh, we do have some good uh, passages to talk about with. And this, this is an interesting passage here. Uh, the text says they fell down before the lamb, that would be Jesus, each holding a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I don't know that that means that the prayers were directed to the lamb, but we do have this vision that the elders are falling down before the lamb and they they have golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sing a new song worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals you were slain this is obviously the lamb and then so scroll down to the end of this text and let's do notice here clearly that the lamb is also worshiped um verse 14 the four living creatures say amen there's our word amen again and the elders fell down and worshiped. Uh, and one thought on those, those prayers that Paul makes for like the Ephesians and stuff, uh, it may perhaps be kind of like when, you know, we tell somebody, you know, I'm praying, you know, uh, for your operation and that it will all go well. I'm praying for you as you're raising your kids and your wife and your husband, I'm praying for you. Um, we communicate lots of times, you know, how we're praying for people. And and Paul was a man of prayer. He, he, over and over, one of the striking things, pretty much every letter he writes, he mentions, I make mention of you in all my prayers or, or kind of words to that effect. Thank you very much. And uh, so we're going to get to this question on receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that next week. Thanks a lot for those questions. Sorry we didn't get to uh, both of them. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you guys for your discussion today um, through all of that. It's really helpful. Uh, and to our audience um, that is submitting the questions, um, that's what we want. So any more questions that you all have, um, you can submit those to BibleQuest.tv. 
Um, and we can pick up with the questions that we haven't got to get to today, um, next week, Lord willing. But um, keep the questions coming in. Uh, any difficult Bible passages or other questions um, that y'all would like addressed on the show. Um, and we'll do that, Lord willing, next Tuesday. We'll see you all then.